Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. On Thursday, we learned that the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee voted to raise interest rates to 1% from 0.75%. This is the highest level since 2009 and the fourth consecutive increase since December. The bank is grappling with rising inflation, which is forecast to top 10% by the end of the year, but also worried about the risk of recession. The bank believes that higher interest rates will slow spending further by raising the cost of borrowing and reducing asset prices and thus help get inflation back down. But did the bank go far enough? And what are the ramifications for the UK economy? I sat down with Julian Jessup, who is Economics Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs, to discuss this. Um, Julian, what do you make of the bank's new economic forecasts uh, and what are they expecting and are they right? Well, the first thing, of course, is the new forecasts look very gloomy. Um, In particular, the bank is now forecasting that the consumer price measure of inflation is going to be above 10% in the final quarter of this year. uh, And also that the economy is actually going to shrink in that quarter. So that's pretty much a textbook definition of, of stagflation. Um, I will say that I think these forecasts are a bit too pessimistic and indeed I'd almost not call them forecasts at all because what they really are is is projections based on some pretty strong assumptions about a number of things. Um, In particular, the the, the bank is assuming that that the government doesn't do anything more to prevent energy prices from jumping again in October uh, when the off-gem price cap is, is reviewed. Uh, and they're also assuming that you know, global energy prices and indeed interest rates rise in line with what the markets have been expecting, which again, uh, maybe be assumptions that are too high. So um, I think in practice, inflation won't rise that far uh, and that the economy will avoid um, a contraction in the fourth quarter. But there's no doubt at all that the, the outlook for the next few months is really shaky. You do have a massive squeeze on, on real incomes because of higher prices and a big increase in economic uncertainty as well as all the additional geopolitical risks. So I think clearly the rest of this year is going to be tough, but I don't think it'll be quite as bad as some of the numbers from the bank suggest. Um, what is the difference between recessions and stagflation? We've heard people say we're going to go into a recession and you've just mentioned stagflation then. Um, what are the, what's the difference between them two and are we potentially facing both of those outcomes? Mm, well, these questions I, I get all the time. I think it's worth So stepping back and defining what these two terms mean, um, there's actually no official definition of recession. And, you know, different people think about it in different ways. In in the US, for example, a recession is typically defined as a significant fall in activity spread across the economy and lasting several months. And there's quite a good chance that we might see that in the UK. Um, More commonly, though, people talk about a technical recession, which is defined as two quarters of negative economic growth. So two quarters where the economy shrinks. Um, I personally don't really like that definition because you can get a recession with two successive falls of 0.1% of GDP, 
Whereas if you get 10% fall in one quarter and a 0.1% increase in the next, some people would say that isn't a recession. That, that, that's clearly nonsense. Um, as it happens, I think we probably will avoid two successive quarters of negative GDP growth in the UK, but it'll certainly feel like a recession to anybody struggling to pay their, uh, their energy bills or to, uh, or to feed themselves properly. Um, stagflation is sort of a, a different way of looking at recession. Um, in a sense, stagflation is recession plus high inflation. So you can regard it as a recession caused by high inflation. But there's also a third element of, of what traditionally is regarded as stagflation, which I think is going to be missing this time around, and that's high unemployment. Um, I think this time around, unemployment is going to remain relatively low. So, so yes, inflation is going to be a problem for, for many people. Economic activity uh, will be weak. Um, but the vast majority of people will, will keep their jobs. They still feel fairly secure. Um, and I think that's going to be an important factor limiting the downside to consumer spending and therefore to the economy as a whole. Uh, how important are energy prices in determining inflation? Um, or is this really about what we've been seeing with the money supply, which we've spoken about on, a, on an IA podcast beforehand? But some commentators are saying a lot of this uh, inflation is imported, not actually due to the money supply. What do you think of that? Well, I think there's a there's a bit of both. I mean, certainly if you're doing a, a near term forecast for inflation, then what happens to energy prices is clearly going to be critical. So uh, we don't yet have the, the April numbers for consumer price inflation. But based on what we know is happening to uh, energy prices, partly because of the increase in the off gem cap on domestic bills, we can be pretty confident that inflation in in April has jumped to say around about nine percent from from seven percent in uh, in the previous month. So, in terms of the near term outlook for inflation, energy prices are, are really important. But um, over the medium to, to longer term, I think they're only one part of the story. Um, and over those sorts of periods, I'd start paying a bit more attention to what's happening to the to the money supply because it's really changes in the money supply that 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 drive inflation. Um, one way of putting this is to say that, you know, if, 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 if monetary growth were very low, then if certain prices jumped, for example, energy prices, then that could be offset by lower inflation elsewhere in the economy. So supply shocks only really determine where the inflation pressures show up. They don't really explain the overall level of inflation. Um, there, I think there's a there's a little bit of room for optimism on inflation because monetary growth has recently slowed pretty sharply. So if you draw a chart, as I have done, to comparing monetary growth with inflation, you put in a bit of a lag, then it does look likely that you know, inflation will drop sharply over the next year or two. Uh, but there's another way of looking at the monetary numbers, which is to focus on the, on the stock of money rather than simply the, the changes from period to period. And there's still an enormous overhang of, of excess money from the period of money printing and quantitative easing during the pandemic. So that possibly is a reason to expect inflation to remain higher for longer. But I'm, I'm, I'm still on balance reasonably optimistic that with monetary growth slowing um, and the supply side beginning to respond to higher prices, companies finding ways to get around uh, energy shortages and disrupted supply chains, I think there's a good chance that inflation will drop sharply over the next six to 12 months. Uh, it appears that the, the banks are sort of stuck in a between a rock and a hard place. Either you know it raises interest rates, and you know as we've discussed, it slows the economy down, um, 
and one, I think Matthew Lesh, our head of public policy, was on Channel 4 News the other night. He said, well, really, the, the, the bank, the main way the bank can help with the inflationary pressure is the money supply side of things. Um, just out of interest, do you think the rate rise was enough that they announced on, on Thursday? Well, first thing, well, first thing. I think almost you know, what happens to interest rates is, is almost the least interesting part of, of, of monetary policy at the moment, um, certainly nominal interest rates. I know we're obsessed about whether you know, interest rates are going up by a quarter point or, or a half point. But the, the reality is that interest rates are still incredibly low. And if you adjust for the high level of inflation, real interest rates are still firmly negative. So um, I think in terms of the direct impact on the economy, interest rates are really neither here nor there at the moment. Um, but there's still scope for policy to, to work in, in, in two other ways. One, as you say, is by slowing the growth of the money supply. And I, I personally think that that is, is more important than what happens to interest rates. Um, but there's also the, the impact on expectations and the sort of signalling effect. And here, I think the Bank of England has been missing a trick because by just raising interest rates by as much as the market expects, uh, it's not really surprising anybody. It's not shaking up expectations. And it is encouraging those of us who think the Bank of England has, has lost credibility to, uh, to continue to take that view. So I personally think it would have been better to, to be a bit more aggressive on interest rates, not necessarily because it's going to have a significant effect on the economy, but because it would at least signal that the bank is willing to do whatever it takes to get inflation back down over the medium to longer term. And if you get inflation expectations down, that can be very powerful in reducing inflation even now, you know, because companies don't raise prices an awful lot if they think they might have to cut them again at some point in the future. Uh, do you think that the, the rate rise was high enough? So are you saying that um, there should have been a, a short, sharp shock of a quite a high increase? Or do you think there should be a gradual long-term notching up the interest rates as yeah, we go I along? I think gradual notching up is almost pointless. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really have much of an effect on the economy. It doesn't have much effect on sentiment in financial markets. I mean, you, you might just as well not bother. So my, my feeling is it would have been better to, to be more aggressive. Um, I am a, a member of the, the Shadow Monetary Policy Committee that, that meets at the IEA. It's a group of independent economists that you know, imagine what they would be doing if they were sitting on the Monetary Policy Committee. We've been arguing actually for, I think, more than a year that the bank should be raising interest rates or at least scaling back and, or ending quantitative easing. Um, and in our latest meeting, the consensus was actually for a, a 75 basis point increase in rates, so a three-quarter point increase from 0.75 all the way to, to one and a half. And I think a move of that size would have been the, about the only thing that could have had a significant impact on uh, on inflation this year because it would have shaken out these sort of these expectations that inflation is going to remain higher for longer um as we've discussed interest rates you know it increases the cost of borrowing how will the interest rate decision um affect the national debt mm. well this, this is something that lots of people have been worried about and particularly the the treasury itself has been flagging up the risks that higher inflation and higher interest rates will will increase government borrowing um i i think that's that's a little bit exaggerated. Um, it's certainly true that higher inflation uh, increases the cost of servicing a large part of government debt, where the, uh, the cost of that debt is directly linked to RPI inflation. But the cost of that takes many, many years to come through. Uh, most of it only kicks in when those bonds are actually redeemed and their average maturity is more than 18 years. 
Um, increases in official interest rates also directly affect the, the cost of borrowing um, for the government. And this is because a lot of uh, what the bank has been doing over the last few years is, is buying government bonds using newly created money. And it pays the bank rate, which is currently 1% on that money, uh, to financial institutions that hold accounts at the bank. So when official interest rates go up, that has a direct effect on the, the cost of borrowing for the, for the public sector. So yes, higher inflation and um, higher interest rates do drive up the cost of servicing debt. But context is everything here. The, the reason why these things are happening is that you know, the, the economy is, um, is doing what it's doing. In particular, higher inflation means that uh, nominal incomes and profits are, are going up, prices are going up. And that, that's, that's actually good for the public finances because it increases tax revenues. So the overall net effect of what's happening now in the public finances is probably actually positive. Yes, the government is paying a bit more in debt interest, but that's being offset or more than offset by higher tax revenues. And I don't think that's really a good excuse for saying that you know, taxes need to go up further um, or that the government can't afford to support those on low incomes. Um, so how are struggling households who may have taken loans or, or need loans to get themselves through this cost of living crisis supposed to cope? Um, if, if interest rates are going up, and as we've said, that's going to increase the cost of borrowing money. Mm. Well, the, the most vulnerable households actually are probably those least affected by, by rising interest rates. Um, you know, rising interest rates are more likely to affect people with, with big mortgages or you know, lots of assets. If, you know, if asset prices fall when uh, interest rates go up, then there's a, there's a risk there. Um, even in the mortgage market, actually, most people now have fixed rate mortgages, so um, they won't immediately be impacted by an increase in official interest rates. Uh, and in any event, mortgage interest rates have, have already risen um, in anticipation of higher official interest rates in the Bank of England anyway. So um, I don't necessarily see rising interest rates as being something that adds enormously to the cost of living crisis now. It will clearly hurt some people. Um, but the alternative, I think, will be even worse if, if the Bank of England doesn't raise interest rates enough uh, or start quantitative tightening, then we get a longer period of higher inflation than we really need to do. And indeed, at some point in the future, the Bank of England might need to raise rates more aggressively than it would otherwise have done. So, yes, I, there's no pain free options here. Raising interest rates is clearly going to hurt some people and some businesses. But it's better the alternative of allowing inflation to remain higher for, for much, much longer. I wonder if you could give our listeners a prediction for the future. Will inflation be 10%, which the bank's expecting it will reach this year? Um, will interest rates return to above what are emergency levels, as you said at the beginning of the podcast? Um, and, and what more do you think the government can do to help? Well, good question. I mean, first of all, in terms of forecasting inflation, my, my own best guess is that inflation will rise to about 9% on the consumer price measure in, in April, uh, probably over 11% on the alternative RPI measure. But then that will actually be at or close to the peak, that you know, inflation won't rise again as much as people fear in the, in the autumn, um, and that inflation will gradually drop back to you know, maybe 4 or 5% at the end of this year, maybe you know, 3% but the middle of, of next year. So still higher than target, but um, not as bad as, as some people fear. In terms of interest rates returning to uh, above emergency lows, 
I very much hope so. Um, I think the, the big picture here is that interest rates are simply too low. Um, we, you know, we're getting very excited about the possibility of a, a quarter point or a half point increase, but you know, we, we're still at levels that you know, historically extremely low and a negative in, in real terms. So um, I very much hope that interest rates go back to say between two and 3% over the next year or two. Um, I'd be more worried if they didn't actually, because that would suggest that there's still something seriously wrong in the, in the economy. And the longer that interest rates remain at these ridiculously low levels, the, the bigger the risk of other problems in the economy, sort of financial excesses and so on. So I, I, I hope interest rates go back to two to three percent. Um, and I, I'd almost be more worried if they didn't. Uh, the final thing is what more can the government do to help? And I I think the obvious problem here is that we've got the wrong policy mix. Um, there's never a good time to be raising taxes, but 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 now is completely crazy or or squeezing the real value of, of, of benefits. So um, I think the government should be willing to, if necessary, borrow a bit more uh, to tie people over this very difficult period. Um, well, at the same time, monetary policy is, is too loose. Um, so interest rates are too low and uh, the Bank of England is, is too slow to withdraw some of the extraordinary stimulus from, from quantitative easing. And the two are sort of related. Um, you know, one decent argument for the Bank of England being cautious at the moment is that you know, the, the Treasury itself is, is raising taxes, so you don't necessarily need to add additional headwinds to the economy. But um, I think the optimal policy mix would be for government to, to borrow a, a bit more rather than to be raising taxes. Um, and instead for the, for the Bank of England to be um, raising rates more aggressively. Uh, Julian Jessup, Economics Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Thanks very much for joining me today. To our listeners, I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IEA London. If you want to help contribute to the IEA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.